Well, good morning. What a joy to be together. My heart is full. After a week down in Orlando, Florida with all the pastors and wives of Sovereign Grace, uh, my heart is full. After, after listening to Philip's amazing and brilliant uh, insights as we shared communion, my heart is full. Linda's prophetic word calling us to faith and to keep our eyes on Jesus. Uh, thank you, Linda. Uh, my heart is full this morning. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. As Leo mentioned, we are continuing our series in the book of Luke, and we're going to begin in verse 5. This is the first story, so we have sort of an introduction in verses 1 through 5, and Jared uh, Mellinger, our senior pastor, preached an overview of of the book of Luke, and then he, he jumped into these first uh, four verses, and uh, now we come to the, uh, first, the first story in the book of Luke, and we're going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 5, all the way through uh, to uh, verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people 
prepared. Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me, to take away my reproach among the people. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Uh, the title of my sermon this morning is... <clears throat> Something's happening here. Something's happening here. And I've chosen that title, title be, and not, not with Stephen Stills in mind. Uh, song of the same first line. I've chosen that title because after a very long season of not much happening, something's happening here in these verses. Now it's become a bit of a cliche with pastors of my generation to use stories from the Chronicles of Narnia as sermon illustrations. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, <laughs> Mr. Beaver was friends with Mr. Tumnus the Fawn. And while Mr. Tumnus was the first Narnian to meet Lucy Pevensey, Mr. Beaver was the first Narnian to meet all four of the Pevensey children. He and his wife sheltered the children when they arrived in Narnia through the wardrobe. They sheltered the children and told them about the world of Narnia. At that time, Narnia, as you will recall, was a cold and a dark world. It was ruled by Jadis, the white witch, and it had been winter for 100 years, winter without a single Christmas. Well, word had found its way to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver that Aslan is on the move. And when the children asked Mr. Beaver about Aslan, Mr. Beaver explained that Aslan was the great lion, the creator, and the one true king of Narnia. And he recited one of the ancient prophecies to the children. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. 
At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter will meet its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. After 100 years of darkness and cold, good news began to spread among the faithful in Narnia that the long wait was nearly over, that Aslan was on the move, that he's coming. He's, he's coming to remove sorrows. He's coming to end the long winter. He's coming to bring spring to Narnia again. Now, likewise, in our text this morning, after 400 years of a kind of winter for God's people, after 400 years of no word from heaven, after 400 years of no visitation from heaven, after 400 years of no prophet of God being raised up, no word from the Lord coming to the people of God, word began to circulate that God was on the move. That it seemed as if the Messiah was coming soon. Why did, why did they begin to think that? Well, an angel from heaven had appeared to a righteous priest as he ministered in the temple. And he announced to the man that his barren wife, Elizabeth, was to bear a son who would be great before the Lord, who would, as an Elijah figure, prepare people's hearts for the Lord. Word began to circulate that something's going on. Something's happening here. That this child was to be born to a barren woman would have been an unmistakable sign to the faithful remnant who believed God's word, that God was on the move, that something's happening here. The faithful would have remembered that Abraham's wife, Sarah, had been barren her whole life, that she and her husband were far too old to have a child, but God moved to fulfill his covenant promise to Abraham that his offspring would become a great nation that would bless all the nations. And so, in due time, Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah, an elderly couple. They would also have remembered that Isaac then, who was born to Abraham and Sarah, the son of promise, whose offspring would become a great nation, they would have remembered that he married Rebekah and that Rebekah was barren. But Isaac prayed, and in due time, after nearly 20 years of marriage, Rebekah bore the twins Esau and Jacob. Now, Jacob was the son of the promise, and they would have remembered that Jacob's beloved Rachel was childless. But after enduring a very long wait and agony of soul and taunts from her sister, God moved to answer Rachel's prayer and he opened her womb and she bore a son named Joseph who saved both Israel and the nations from the great famine. Oh, the faithful remnant would have also remembered that Manoah's wife was unable to bear children, Judges 13. 
But a messenger from the Lord appeared to her and told her that she would conceive and bear a son, that he would be set apart, that he would partake of no strong drink. And Samson was born. And Samson began to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Shall I go on? Well, they would have remembered that Elkanah's wife, Hannah, was also barren. But after praying desperate prayers in the temple for a son, after weeping bitterly in God's presence, after promising the Lord that if, if he would give her a son, that she would devote that son to the Lord's service, after that, God opened her womb, and she bore the first of the great prophets of Israel, whose name was... Samuel. And now, after nothing significant in the way of the Lord communicating with his people, it was happening again. An angel visited Zechariah, the priest, and announced that Baron Elizabeth was to have a son who would be great before the Lord. Now you might be wondering, you know, what's the reason that God so often worked through the offspring of barren women? Well, like, what's up with that? What is this pattern about? And I think it's, the pattern is in order to make it clear that salvation is the work of God and not man. Salvation is the work of God and not man. It's the work of God in the face of human helplessness. Salvation comes to us not by the natural power of man, but by the supernatural power of God. In the face of our helpless estate, in the face of our total inability to save ourselves, in the face of our utter impotence, the Lord brings salvation to fallen mankind by the mighty working of his right hand, which is why the Bible declares again and again, salvation belongs to our God. It's not of us, lest any man should boast. Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So we don't give glory to man. We sing praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So word began to spread among the faithful. Hey, something's happening here. God is on the move. Something miraculous, something supernatural, something glorious has begun. Did Gabriel, the angel, really appear to Zechariah? Uh, what is going on? Did, did Baron Elizabeth conceive? She did. What, what is going on? Did the angel really announce that the prophecy concerning the coming of Elijah was about to be fulfilled? What's going on? What's happening? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. Even though the scepter of rule had long since departed from Judea, even though an evil and murderous Edomite, Herod, was their king, 
Even though a faithful remnant had endured a long and dark night of 400 years, the morning star which rises, which rises first before the dawn breaks, that morning star was about to rise. And that could only mean that the sun itself was not far behind. If the Messiah's forerunner was about to be born, that can only mean that the Messiah is coming. Oh, the people who knew their Bibles were getting a little bit excited. It looks like the Messiah is coming. Zechariah understood this. He understood that the angelic visitation and the promise of a son to be named John, who would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, he knew that that was about nothing less than the coming of the Messiah. How do we know that? Well, when his ability to speak was restored when John was born, the first words out of his mouth were, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Zechariah's own son, John, like he and Elizabeth, would be of the house of Levi. He wasn't talking about his own son. When Zechariah spoke of a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, he spoke of the promised Davidic king who would rule over Israel. He spoke of the Messiah. Remarkable. And Luke, as he seeks to bring an orderly narrative to the events concerning what was accomplished among them, he begins here. Other gospel writers begin later, at the birth of John the Baptist. He traces it back to the angelic visitation that Zechariah had and the miraculous conception of John the Baptist. Now, I'd like to make three observations concerning this text with some application for us. First observation that I'd like to make is that God moved amongst the faithful. God moved amongst the faithful. In these first few chapters of Luke, we we get a, a very clear glimpse into the faithful remnant in Israel at that time. And, and these brothers and sisters are meant to be an inspiration to us. Soon we'll meet Mary, Jesus' mother. She was part of that faithful remnant. She's an inspiration. We'll meet Joseph, to whom Mary, Mary was betrothed. He, too, is a, a noble inspiration. After that, we'll meet Anna and Simeon, who in very old age eagerly awaited the coming of the Messiah and spoke of him in the temple. They are an inspiration And here we meet Zechariah, a priest, and his wife Elizabeth. They're also part of this faithful remnant, and they are an inspiration to us. Our text says, and they were both righteous before God. In an age of great unrighteousness and great departures from the true faith, in an age of hypocrisy and legalism, here 
was a couple, both of them righteous before God. What a blessing it is to marry a believer. And let me just speak to our young people for a moment, not in my notes. Marry in the faith. Marry in the faith. You can both be righteous before God and be used of the Lord together. There's few blessings richer than that. Marry in the Lord. So they're both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Luke 1, 6. They were righteous. They were righteous. And concerning the keeping of the commandments and keeping of the ordinance, the ordinances, blameless. Their lives, their walk, their devotion to God and to his people, while not sinlessly perfect, were nevertheless pleasing to God. And they're counted amongst Many of those who were faithful throughout the history of God's people, like Job, he was righteous. Not sinlessly perfect, but righteous. Well, the buzz that the Messiah might be coming began first amongst this group, this faithful remnant. They saw Zechariah go into the temple. They saw that he was delayed. They saw him come out unable to speak. They realized that he had seen a vision. And as the details of the visitation came out amongst them, they realized that that Gabriel, the same angel who had appeared to Daniel, announced that the forerunner of the Messiah who would minister in the spirit and power of Elijah was to be born to Elizabeth. My point here is that God moved amongst those who faithfully attended to their duties in God's house. He moved amongst the righteous. He moved amongst those who faithfully kept God's commandment, who faithfully gathered for worship and prayer. And I want to tell you that God is still moving among the faithful today. Yes. So let's allow uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth to inspire us the mor- this morning. Let's allow them to inspire us to be righteous before God in our hearts. Let them inspire us to walk as they did in his commandments and his ordinances, blameless. Let's be inspired by their example to show up as they did, to meet together for worship and for teaching and for prayer. Oh, let's be righteous before the Lord. Let's allow him to be our habitation. Let let our lives be in him. Let everything we do be through him. Let us walk with him. Let us abide with him. Let us keep his commandments in the strength that the Spirit of God gives us. And when we fail, let us quickly return to him and confess our sins and begin anew. Let's not put off faithfully working Walking with the Lord and his people, let's not put it off for another day. Brothers and sisters, you know as well as I do that that a day's delay becomes a month's delay, which becomes a year's delay, and the next thing you know, a decade has passed, and then two. We only have one lifetime to live for Christ. That lifetime is quickly passing. So let's turn from all folly and all unrighteousness and all unfaithfulness today 
Receive God's grace. Start again. God moves amongst the faithful, and you want to be there when he moves. Next, I'd like to observe that God moved in response to prayer. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So, so get the picture. Outside the temple, there is a multitude praying earnestly outside the temple. The whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him Zechariah, an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So as the people were praying outside, as Zechariah was praying inside, with the incense ascending before the Lord, symbolizing those prayers of the people, there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. What? Your prayer has been heard. Oh, hallelujah. I don't apologize for my joy. That's a thrilling thought to me. Your prayer has been heard. This reminds us of when an angel appeared to Daniel. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. Oh, hallelujah. And I have come because of your words. Heaven moved because of the words of Daniel. Heaven moved because of the prayers of Zechariah. Zechariah, all your prayers have been heard. Your prayers today in the temple for a Savior, they've been heard. Your prayers with Elizabeth in private for a son, they've been heard. And I'm here to give you good news. Elizabeth will bear a son, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. He will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. It's almost as if the angels know that we can doubt whether God actually hears our prayers or not. So these angels assure us our prayers are heard in heaven. Oh, brothers and sisters, God himself is listening when we pray. Don't doubt. God himself is listening when we pray. The one who sits upon the throne, the eternal, the creator of the universe, listens when we pray. The eyes of the Lord, Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Is your cry heard on high? The eyes of the Lord are on you and his ears are attentive to your cry. Therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Your prayers will be heard. Prayer is not a burden. It's not a drudgery. It's an honor. It's an honor because we've been granted an audience with Almighty God himself. So let your requests be made known unto God. 
and leave them there, the peace of God that passes understanding. will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let your requests be made known to the Lord. Third, God moved to take away a reproach. God moved to take away a reproach. After these days, Elizabeth, verse 25, his wife conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. One of the things I love about this text is that it reveals to us God's intimate familiarity with the reproaches we suffer. Here, God is not only concerned about the unfolding of his grand plan of redemption, the bringing of the, of the prophet and the spirit and power in Elijah, the coming of the Messiah. He's also concerned to take away the reproach that one faithful woman suffered. Among the people. In that culture, barrenness was often attributed to some hidden wrong. Well, what did she do? To, she must be displeasing the Lord in some big way. It's often attributed to some secret sin in the woman's life. And Elizabeth lived under the weight of that sort of suspicion and the unjust reproach of others. Does God notice when, when one woman, when, when one man suffers the unjust reproaches of others? Does he care? Will he ever do anything about it? Elizabeth says, he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. He does see the injustice. He does care. And he will move one day to take away your reproach. Every wrong will be made right when he comes in sight. I'm so deeply affected by the love of the Lord and his concern for one woman to clear her reputation. Now, while childlessness in our day doesn't carry the reproach that it did in Elizabeth's day, when, when women today, when, when couples today want children but are unable to conceive, there is very real suffering involved. I know that some in this room suffer. Some of you probably every day, you suffer with a deep and profound longing for a child. Now, I can't, I can't stand up here and promise you that God will do for you what he did for Elizabeth. I pray he does. But I can remind you that the God who moved to relieve Elizabeth's suffering knows your suffering. I can remind you that he's with you to sustain your joy in the midst of sorrow. I can remind you that he will never leave you or forsake you 
or forget you. And I can remind you that our God is still a God of miracles. And that Psalm 113.9 is still true. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyful mother of children. Now, now let, me, let me close with a call to faith because there's one more observation we, we must not overlook in this text. And that is the power of unbelief in a good man. The power of unbelief in a good man. As righteous and holy as Zechariah was, the announcement that the angel brought to him appeared to him to just be too incredible. He didn't think it was possible that an old man like himself would have a son. So an unbelief, in unbelief, this righteous man asked for a sign. How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. This is impossible. Now, it's easy for us to say Zachariah should have remembered the stories of Isaac and Samson and Samuel. They, they were all born to barren woman, women. He should have remembered that if God did it then, he can do it now. He should have remembered that with God, nothing is impossible. But in the moment, he lost sight of all that, just like we do. Brother or sister will come up to us, encourage us, they'll bring us a passage of Scripture. We thank them very much, but in our mind, we're thinking, no way. That ain't going to happen. That's too wonderful to be true. In the moment, he lost sight of the lessons of God's word, and he spoke words of unbelief. J.C. Ryle said, let us learn in wisdom from the fault of Zechariah. It is a fault to which God's people in every age have been sadly liable. The doubts and questionings of Zechariah brought down upon him a heavy chastisement. You shall be silent. You shall be silent, says the angel, and not able to speak because you believe not my words. It was a chastisement, says Ryle, peculiarly suitable to the offense. The tongue that was not ready to speak the language of believing praise was struck speechless. Zechariah didn't believe the good news brought to him by God's messenger. I was sent to you to speak speak to you and bring you this good news. But he didn't believe it. So let me ask, will you believe the good news of this gospel 
when the Lord's messenger sent to you by the Holy Spirit of God, when the Lord's messenger brings it to you, will you believe the good news? When a preacher or a friend delivers good news from heaven to you, the Bible says, whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's John 3, 18. If you will not believe, you cannot be saved. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Believe the good news that the Lord's messengers bring to you as they're sent to you by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, Christians who do believe the gospel, like Zechariah, he believed the word of God, we must also beware of falling into unbelief like Zechariah did. Ryle continues saying, unbelief robs believers of their inward peace. It weakens their hands in the day of battle. Unbelief brings clouds over their hopes, and it makes their chariot wheels drive heavily. According to the degree of our faith will be our enjoyment of Christ's salvation. According to our degree of of faith will be our patience in the day of trial. According to our degree of faith will be our victory over the world. Do you want your hands to remain strong in the day of battle? Then put away unbelief and walk in faith. Do you want your chariot wheels to roll? Then put away unbelief and have great faith. Do you want your hopes to remain strong? Then live in faith and put away unbelief. Do you want to enjoy Christ's salvation? Do you want to be full of patience in the day of trial? Then believe the words of his messengers. Believe God's promises. God moved amongst the faithful in Luke 1. And I want to tell you he's moving amongst the faithful today. God moved in response to prayer in Luke 1. And he's moving in response to prayer today. God moved to take away a reproach in Luke 1, and he's moving to take away uh, reproaches today. Something's happening here in this text, and I tell you, something is happening here among us by the almighty power of God. Something's happening among us. So... May the God of hope fill us with joy and peace in believing that we might abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen.